Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, January 24th, 2011. You know, I if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, you know that uh, I tweeted out yesterday that <clears throat> that my wife insisted that we root for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not because she particularly likes the Steelers. In fact, she doesn't. Uh, it's because they uh, she wanted them to beat the Jets. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is a program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We cover them here. Try to have a little bit of fun along the way, but uh, as one person uh, who... uh, wrote a review of my uh, radio program, said it is deadly serious fun. Yeah, that's, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but yes, it's deadly serious fun. So it, it weird that that's the combo, but yes, I'm not trying... In some senses, it, the, the, this show is very comedic, but on the other hand, it's it's deadly serious because here's the deal. There's crazy things that are being said out there in the name of God. There's a bunch of folks who are buying this stuff and don't see it for the tomfoolery, for the deception that it is. And so when we laugh at it uh, as a way of basically telling these people you're being duped. Yes. And, uh, you know, and not only that, it's it's think think of it as inoculation against deception. Oh, man. Coming back to the opening here. Yeah, uh, I was never really into football. It, it was one of those things when I lived in Southern California. You know, football there was not really much worth it. And uh, living in the Midwest, no, it's it's a big thing out here. But uh, like I was saying, my wife she insisted that we uh, we root for the Steelers uh, because she was holding a grudge against the uh, New York Jets. Uh, you know, for knocking uh, the Indianapolis Colts out of the playoffs. Well, now, now the Super Bowl is uh, set. It's going to be the uh, Green Bay Packers versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, uh, who am I? I don't. I. I don't care. <laughs> the one thing I, you know, if you were to, when I think about football in the United States of America, um, football is the ultimate. Um, theology of glory, if you would. When I look at uh, football in the United States, I mean, there seems to be no bigger stage, no bigger glory, no bigger big deal. I mean, if you want to see the American America glorifying itself 
and rewarding it, you know, its gladiators in a glorious way, then football, I don't think you can get much bigger than that. You know, uh, it, it's, it, it's its own crazy religion all itself. I, I mean, I enjoy watching the game, it's games and all. Uh, they are entertaining, but, you know, I, I always feel horrible when you see somebody just get clobbered and they're lying in a wrecked heap on the, uh, in the middle of the field. You know, here in Indianapolis, we had uh, Austin Colley. Uh, he's one of our uh, receivers. I mean, he. I mean, he got two, three concussions this year. That guy needs to find a different career. You know, you, you do one more thing like that. I mean, it's all over. But anyway, so I, you know, so you know, now I feel, you know, regarding rooting for the Steelers yesterday. I mean, you know, my wife put as much into rooting for them yesterday as she did any Indianapolis game, and it just, I, I feel dirty. I. I I need to go take a shower or something. <sighs> You're thinking, uh, the game was yesterday, Chris. You haven't taken a shower? Yeah, let's not talk about my personal hygiene. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. That was a joke. Anyway, all right. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's program. Yeah, I, You know, I got a lot of things I'm working on here. Um, the uh, Today, the, uh, uh, you know, the, our... Letter of Mark Journal comes out, and it, 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 you're going to see it in the podcast feed that goes along with this edition of Fighting for the Faith. And um, I'm excited because it's going to be offered in two formats. It's going to be offered as an EPUB, uh, and it's also going to be offered as a PDF. And um, I'm still trying to work out the kinks as far as uh, I can make it. I can turn it into a Kindle edition. Delivery becomes the issue because I'm not charging for it. So... Uh, you know, Amazon wants money, so I got to figure out a way to make this available for free, and uh, I'm still working with Amazon on that. So I'll keep you posted. That's kind of the hang up there. But uh, let me just put it this way: the letter of Mark Journal is going to have resources in it. I'm not going to explain. Let me put it this way: this is this first edition that this thing coming out. I'm not going to explain why it is that we do what we do. It's when you read the cover. Uh, when you look at the cover artwork for it, um, you know up in the top it says "Letter of Mark Journal." It says "Letter of Mark," and it says "Arming the Church Militant." That's it. That's the only explanation. That's all you get. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and pontificate about why this journal exists and and the contribution that we're making or how we're making a difference in the world. Nope, 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 no, 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 nope. It's, uh, this is going to be stuff that's going to be published, things that I think that are worth your read, worth your study, and worth you passing along. And uh, some of the stuff is challenging and in your face. Some of it's just ancient. Some of it's, uh, you know, it's more up to date. I mean, this, uh, some of it's biblical studies. Some of it's just good apologetics. It, whatever is exciting to me. Uh, as the as the editor of Letter of Mark, these are the things that I think are worth reading because um, day in and day out, what what I do here at Fighting for the Faith is more of a deconstruction, you know, and uh, and that's this is the wrong phrase, but it, let me just put it that that's not enough, okay. It's just because I've deconstructed somebody's bad theology doesn't mean that I have replaced it with good theology. And good theology is, as far as I'm concerned, takes more than just a radio program. 
It, 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 takes something, it takes something that gets you into God's Word or gets you reading somebody's uh, exegetical study on God's Word, a particular passage, particular concepts, doctrinal theology, if you would. And uh, so as a result of that, um, you know, it's, this is just, it's going to be a potpourri of articles. Articles, epistles from the ancient church fathers. I mean, I, I've funny enough, I've already got the lineup for edition number two, which comes out in February. But um, you know, it's I, I I just might publish this just as often as I want. I, I don't know how often. You know, it's one of those things where you know I I'm excited to get this edition out, but at the same time, um, you know, I I'm excited about the upcoming editions because some of the stuff that I've done in this edition. Uh, the thoughts aren't complete. There's more to it, so there's more coming. So, yeah. Anyway, just I'm rambling here, and uh, it's just because I got so much on my mind. And uh, and then on Wednesday, I'm going to be on issues, etc., talking about Rick Warren's Daniel Plan conference. I, 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 you know, going back and re-listening to the Daniel Plan conference. <sighs> You know, uh, the uh, I don't want to talk about it ahead of time, but uh, I'm convinced that this Daniel Plan stuff, that one of the reasons why Dr. Warren, I, that's Rick Warren, why Warren picks some of the other people to come and speak at Saddleback on this topic is because they believe with his, I, they believe his theory regarding uh, what causes sin. Uh, last week I played audio from Rick Warren that, that basically, where Rick Warren basically said that... Um, you know, sin is about you know, basically the reason why you sin or you disobey God is because you believe you're believing a lie. Behind every sin is a is a lie that you're believing, and so the way you overcome sin is by replacing those lies with the truth. And then once you know the truth, you won't act out on the lies anymore. It's like, you know, so apparently sin is only thought deep. Well, one of the things that happened on the in you know, in the Daniel Plan lectures uh, was Doctor Amen uh, basically talking about brain scans, and so. Uh, Dr. Amon basically put out this idea that if you be- if, if if you have a healthy brain, well then you have better integrity. You have uh, you know, and so you know he showed the brain scans of like you know uh, a guy who cheats on his wife or a uh, Heidi Fleiss who was uh, yeah she, she was a madam I think you know didn't she own a a, a boxer store too in Los Angeles I, should, I remember she was in the news seems like 10 15 years ago anyway and so the idea that Dr. Amon is postulating here is that the reason why people are you know, are, don't, don't have integrity is because they have unhealthy brains so apparently you know sin is now mental illness or something like that it, it that's kind of like the worst construction on it um but at least the way he's putting it forward in conjunction with what Rick Warren you know, teaches. I mean, it's this not this idea that we're by nature sinners, and that we we wrestle with our sinful flesh. No, no, no. It's a matter of you can make healthy choices if you uh, if you make sure to eat the right foods that uh, that 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 make your brain healthy. And then when you have a healthy brain, then you do the yeah. Anyway, you get what I'm saying here. So no, I so you know I'm working on stuff like that for middle of the week, um, you know, but, uh, you know, at first I, I had the appearance on uh, issues, et cetera, on Wednesday to discuss this stuff. And then I'll, I'll discuss, I'll discuss it in depth uh, either Wednesday or Thursday on the program. It just depends on where I put the light version this week, uh, for, uh, uh, you know, fighting for the faith. Anyway, 
So today's edition, I'm going to start off with a couple of emails. Um, let me look at what I have on deck here. Um, and then uh, t- you know, talk about some crazy things. Uh, we're going to... Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll ease it <laughs> to some of our topics today by listening to... Um, uh, a, a video, uh, the audio from a video entitled "Covenant Ever." Um, uh, y- y'all remember the song "Come Together, Come Together" right now? Anyway, um, yeah, I think the Beatles are the ones who originally wrote that. Uh, the, there's a gal on YouTube who's, uh, she looks like she's a grandmother, and uh, and she and the Holy Spirit has come up with her own version of "Come Together." She calls it "Covenant Ever." We'll be uh, debuting that on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith and basically asking the question, where are where are these women's grandchildren or her children? Uh, they need to take the uh, video camera away from her. Um, then we're going to – oh, man. Uh, I I wanted to talk about this a week, a week and a half ago. Y'all remember Bird Apocalypse? You know, down there, and I think it was it was it Arkansas. Uh, you know, you had these blackbirds just falling out of the sky dead, you know, and, and you know, in, in droves. I mean, just, you know, there was this flock of birds flying. And next thing you know, poof, they're all dead and falling to the ground dead. And, um, well, uh, a gal by the name of Cindy Jacobs, who we've we've covered her in the past here. She has her own theory as to what, what caused bird apocalypse. And, uh, and then we got Joshua Mills uh, just to... You know, we'll just go for the goofiness trifecta in the first hour today. Joshua Mills basically talking about um, uh, healing miracles that involve getting rid of um, wrinkles. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea that God was into the uh, into plastic surgery. You know, apparently God's into cosmetic surgery. And uh, and then you know, after we get done with our goofiness trifecta. Um, I want to turn the corner and cover a couple more serious things. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the couple that owns that bed and breakfast in Great Britain, they lost their, um, you know, they lost their court case. Uh, you know, basically they were being sued by a homosexual couple and, uh, and they, they've been ordered to pay 3,600 pounds, uh, in damages for not, you know, for basically refusing them to stay in their bed and breakfast. Um, and, uh, well, it doesn't stop there. And there's a reason why I'll talk about this. And then today we will for sure get to Dan Phillips's piece. Uh, what did Jesus say or not say about God's desire for us? What did Jesus say or not say about God's desire for us? Which will allow me to go into the YouTube archives for the Schlitz, uh, beer company to play for you a Schlitz commercial because, um, it's part of this uh, thing, but you know, I've been dying to do that. And then our sermon uh, review today, let's see here, what did I do with that? Hold on a second here, I, I've forgotten what I'm going to talk about in my sermon review. Uh, hang on, I started, there it is. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh boy, this is going to be fun. Um, the, uh, the name of the, by the way, the sermon series, it, it, the sermon is from Daybreak, uh, Day, Daybreak, um, and uh, I, Pastor Wes Dupin. And the name of the sermon series is The Godfather. Yeah, and uh, the, the <laughs> he did an entire sermon series named The Godfather. And um, the this uh, particular sermon is entitled Sleeping with the Fishes. 
Uh, apparently it has something to do with um, not paying off your debts. You know, because, you know, in, in, in the Gorefather land, you know, uh, if you don't pay your debts, then you, you're going to be sleeping with the fishes. And so apparently this is all about um, uh, paying debts and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, but I mean, what could be more relevant than a sermon series named after, you know, that famous... Yeah, I didn't really like the Godfather movies, just to be honest with you. Um, I was rather disturbed by them. Um... But it just maybe it's just me. I'm maybe I'm overly sensitive. I don't know. But anyway, so uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're going to be looking at a sermon <laughs> series entitled "Sleeping with the Fishes," and uh, that's my best uh, mafioso uh, imp- impersonation. Although I I haven't really worked on a mafioso impersonation. But anyway, so with that, let's dive into the program proper. All right, I got an email from a person by the name of K-A-A-R-E. Yeah, I, I don't know how to pronounce that. See, because I know Hebrew, I'm tempted to put like a, you know, a, a, to call it Kar. You know, that's, uh, anyway. And uh, Kar's from, uh, I'll just call him Kar. Uh, it's from uh, New Jersey. Anyway. Hi, Mr. Roseboro. I've listened to uh, many of your podcasts and really appreciate hearing about the law and the gospel. I just wanted to comment on the Joel Osteen Stop and Smell the Roses sermon. Of course, I agree with your conclusion that the sermon was all law, i.e. Joel's law, diluted at that. But one thing that came to uh, mind was the sheer brilliance of Joel's diluted law, the sheer brilliance of it. Now, this is an interesting point. Okay, so you're thinking that Joel Osteen's law was brilliant, okay, which which may explain its or his popularity. By preaching a law that is accessible, i.e. one could conceivably be successful at slowing down to watch a sunset, to spend a bit more time with family, the people are able to not feel condemned but to feel justified. You know, I, I got to tell you, you know, this is actually your spot on here. It, it's a diluted form of the law that's achievable it's kind of, it's something to make you hey you know i stopped and smelled the roses this week i you know i must be getting closer to god you know god's got to be looking down from heaven going oh wow you know look at that chris he stopped and smelled the roses this week see how how well he's coming along in his obedience and sanctification and then i could say oh yes look at me look how holy i am because i stopped and smelled the roses you know you have a great point there car Anyway, uh, so this is the insidious and wicked thing. One walks away slightly convicted, and the prescription is simply the same law that convicted you. You are able to achieve a bit of success and feel like you are okay. So the sermon damns people by turning their trust into their ability to keep a modified form of the law. Since it is so diluted, there is no opportunity for them to despair. Also, it's not it's not so strong to breed a repulsive or nauseating self-righteousness. Only a generic cultural self-righteousness. This kind of ties into your idea of compartmentalization as well. Anyway, thank you for your work. Grace to you. Great point. And, you know, I, I would like to pile on there because you know, uh, one of the things I do here at Fighting for the Faith is I pile on. But, I mean, you had a great you had a great point, and that is, is that the self-righteous, this diluted law is, you know, is, is somewhat achievable and creates the perception that you're becoming holier or more righteous. Well, I'd like to read to you a portion, one of the—, one of the um, <clears throat> 
uh, one of the most brilliant apologetics for justification by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone, was written by Philip Melanchthon very, very early into the Reformation in a document entitled The Apology or the Defense of the Augsburg Confession. In fact, in this uh, in this edition and next uh, next month's edition of the Letter of Mark Journal, I will be uh, reproducing uh, a public domain copy of uh, of Melanchthon's article, uh, basically defense of the doctrine of justification. But uh, Melanchthon he makes a great point in this, and I'm going to read a portion of this, uh, you know, to, to kind of pile on to uh, uh, Carr's ideas. And uh, so uh, this is the article on justification, which is article number four of the Augsburg Confession, and this is the uh, defense of the Augsburg Confession. Listen to the listen to what Melanchthon writes. This is about uh, let's see, a page and a half worth of stuff from the uh, Aug- uh, defense of the uh, Augsburg Confession. In articles five, six, and ten, they the uh, the papists, the scholastic. Roman Catholic theologians condemn us for teaching that people obtain forgiveness of sins not because of their own merits, but freely for Christ's sake through faith in Christ. They, the Roman Catholics, condemn us both for denying that people obtain the forgiveness uh, forgiveness of sins because of their own merits and for affirming that through faith people obtain forgiveness of sins and are justified or declared righteous through faith in Christ. But in this controversy, the chief topic of Christian doctrine is treated. When it is understood correctly, it illumines and amplifies Christ's honor. It brings necessary and most abundant consolation to devout consciences. Therefore, we ask his imperial majesty to hear us with patience in matters of such importance. For the adversaries, the Roman Catholics, do not understand what the forgiveness of sin or faith or grace or righteousness is. Therefore, they sadly corrupt this topic, hide Christ's glory and benefits, and rob devout consciences of the consolation offered in Christ. Now, I'm going to pause right here for a second in my reading of this. I think that what Melanchthon was writing against, the you know these, these ideas of the Roman Catholics, is exactly the same thing that uh, Rick Warren and seeker-driven guys and guys like Joel Osteen are doing today. Let me continue them, okay? Um, In order that we might strengthen the position of our confession and also remove the charges that the adversaries advance against us, certain points are to be set forth in the beginning. Then the sources of both kinds of doctrine that our adversaries and our own may be known. All Scripture ought to be distributed into the... into these two principal topics, the law and the promises, or the gospel. For in some places, Scripture presents the law, and in others, the promises about Christ. In other words, in the Old Testament, Scripture promises that Christ will come, and it offers for his sake the forgiveness of sins, justification, and eternal life. Or in the gospel, in the New Testament, Christ himself since he has appeared, promises the forgiveness of sins, justification, and life eternal. Furthermore, in this discussion by law, we mean the Ten Commandments. Wherever they are read in the Scriptures, we say nothing at present about the ceremonies and the judicial laws of Moses. Of these two parts of Scriptures, the adversaries choose the law, because in some way, Human reason naturally understands the law, for it has the same judgment divinely written in the mind. 
By the law, they seek the forgiveness of sins and justification. The Ten Commandments require outward civil works which reason can in some way produce, but they also require other things placed far above reason. For example, truly to fear God, truly to love God, truly to call upon God, truly to be convinced that God hears us and expect God's aid in death and in all afflictions. Finally, it requires obedience to God in death and in all afflictions so that we may, uh, we may not run from these commandments or refuse them when God lays them upon us. Here, the scholastic Catholics have followed the philosophers. They teach only a righteousness of reason. That is, they teach civil works. Besides that, they pretend reason can love God above all things without the Holy Spirit. For as long as the human mind is at ease and does not feel God's wrath or judgment, it can pretend that it wants to love God, that it wants to do good for God's sake. In this way, they teach that people merit the forgiveness of sins by doing what is in them, namely, when reason produces an act of love. Namely, when reason produces an act of love toward God by grieving over sin when reason is active in doing what is good for God's sake. Because this notion naturally flatters people, it has brought forth and multiplied in the church many services— monastic vows, the abuses of the mass, for example. In the course of time with this opinion, someone has come up with one act of worship and observances and someone else others. To nourish and increase confidence in such works, the scholastics have asserted that God must give grace to a person who does such works, not that he is forced to, but that God will not change. In this opinion, there are many great and deadly errors which would be to would be too boring to list. Let the careful reader think only about this. If this is Christian righteousness, what difference is there between philosophy and Christ's teaching? If we merit the forgiveness of sins by these acts, of what benefit is Christ? If we can be justified by reason and the works of reason, what need is there of Christ or regeneration? From these opinions, the matter has now reached the point that many ridicule us because we teach that a righteousness different from philo philosophic righteousness must be sought. We have heard that some preachers, after setting aside the gospel, have explained Aristotle's ethics instead of a sermon. Not that such men err if those things uh, the adversaries defend are true, for Aristotle wrote about civil morals in such a learned way that nothing further about the topic needs to be demanded. We see books published in which certain sayings of Christ are compared with the sayings of Socrates or Zeno or others. It's as though Christ had come to deliver certain laws through which we might, for, we might merit the forgiveness of sins, as though we did not receive this freely because of his merits. Therefore, if we, if we here accept the teachings of the adversaries that by the works of reason we merit the forgiveness of sins and justification, there will be no difference between righteousness of philosophers, or certainly of the Pharisees, and of Christians. You know, uh, Carr, I got to tell you, what you said is spot on the money, and this is exactly one of the reasons why the Reformation came about. Because when you 
preach all law and dilute it and make it sound like that, oh, it's really easy to keep. All you got to do is apply yourself to these little diluted things. Uh, then what happens is, is you create little Pharisees. And uh, and worse, you think that God has a, a positive disposition towards you as a result of your feeble, deluded keeping of these so-called reasonable laws, such as Joel Osteen's, now make sure and stop and smell the roses. Yeah, if you think that God's pleased with you because you stopped and smelled the roses, uh, you've got another thing coming. Yeah, that's the type of theology that lands people in hell. All right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Does your life lack divine inspiration? Has God not told you your next steps to finding your personal greatness? If you've said yes to any of these questions, then your divine vision could be constipated. If so, we have the perfect ministry aid for you. Vision Max! It's the first divine vision suppository. When you use Vision Lax, you'll ascend directly into the glory cloud of God. All your most pressing questions will be answered by the Holy Spirit Himself. With Vision Lax, you'll be able, but not limited to, winning the lottery, finding your purpose in life, having a better marriage, balancing your checkbook, avoiding poorly made movies, not taking the wrong turn, knowing when Mormons are at your door, sensing a disturbance in the force, acing your tests, and so much more! For only 10 easy payments of $49.99, you too can get Vision Lax. If you order within the next 15 seconds, we'll also send you a free set of Ginsu knives. But wait, there's more. If you call within the next 5 microseconds, you'll also receive a free Vision Lax 60-gallon fanny pack that conveniently holds up to three Vision Lax suppositories. And now, listen to some happy and satisfied Vision Lax customers. I can use this fanny pack as a tent. My vision has never been clearer, but I really need a plunger. My vision told me not to tell you anything. That's so easy to use? Don't wait to order your supply of Vision Lax. Order now. 
Side effects may include nausea, heartburn, diarrhea, explosive acne, warts and weird places, greasy hair, short-term memory loss, long-term memory loss, coma, scripture twisting, hallucinations, 400 babies, limosis, cold, flu, and early death, and extreme attraction to Lectio Divina, weight gain, iocane powder poisoning, and uncontrollable flatulence. Order now! your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebrough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Keeping a diluted version of the law that your reason can adjust to is not what it means to obey God and to keep his law. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, your financial contributions, you, 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 in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says, Donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, moving along here, I don't have... um, I, I don't have a segue music for this because I don't think that this gal's going to be a regular on our um, program. But uh, this is an example of uh, wh- when you should take the video camera away from Grandma. Just you know, this anyway. Here, here's some Covenant Ever.
Wasn't this part of that album that the uh, Beatles put out that was drug induced? awful you know what i'll do if you follow me on facebook or twitter i will uh, well actually i'll put this out on the website too fightingforthefaith.com if you want to see this i'll attach it to the, the program uh for today wow is that bad yeah it this is again this is um if you if you have a relative who's doing these kinds of things and think that they're somehow spirit walking in the holy spirit and kind of free-form making up lyrics to uh, drug-induced Beatles songs, um, you want to take um, all media devices away from them. I would say uh, cell phones with cameras. Um, you definitely want to take away the video camera. Microphones, anything with a microphone, yeah. Um, and then if, they're, if you find that they're producing things like this, you might want to take them in and have them checked. Tangle up, but he get all the sun loose from you, and his fire by his final sacrifice to Moving along in our uh, absurdity trifecta today, um, let's see. Uh, Cindy Jacobs, uh, yeah, y'all remember Bird Apocalypse? Well, here's her explanation as to what caused that thing to happen. Here we go. According to biblical principles, a marriage is between a man and a woman. Right. So we have to say, what happens when a nation makes a decision? that is against God's principles. Well, often what happens is the nature itself will begin to talk to us. For instance, violent storms, flooding. And, you know, there are actually some patterns that you can see where where a nation will make a decision that is contrary to the principles of God. And after that, there is some kind of answer that God gives, being the God of creation, the God who created nature, but we don't always understand what he's saying. Well, there's something interesting we have been watching. Let's talk about this Arkansas pattern and say, could it be a pattern? We're going to watch and see. But the blackbirds fell to the ground um, in B.B., Arkansas. Well, the governor of Arkansas's name is B.B., and also there was something put out of Arkansas called... Don't Ask, Don't Tell by a former governor. This was proposed, Bill Clinton. Um, 
so if I'm connecting all the uh, dots here correctly, um, the reason why the bird apocalypse happened in Arkansas was because former Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton was responsible for the don't ask, don't tell policy, that, and then that was just recently repealed. So bird apocalypse was God's way of... Um, uh, Cindy, have you been hanging out with uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse? You know, I'm just wondering. And so could there be a connection between this passage where said, and now that we had the repeal of the don't ask, don't tell, where people now legally in the United States have broken restraints with the scripture because the <laughs> Do you? Th- I just I just have to ask the logical question. Do you think for a second that prior to the repeal of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell," that the United States of America was, you know, just like ancient Israel, that we had a covenant with God and and oh man, Scripture says in Romans one that homosexuality is not allowed. That's right. It could be because we have said it's okay for people who commit these kind of acts to be recognized, you know, in, in our military for the first time in our history, it, it, there is a potential that there is something that actually happened in the drone. Notice how she's hedging her bets. It, it, there's a potential that certainly kind of sort of maybe that just kind of sort of that there might maybe con- – possibly be a connection that the that but possibly the reason why the birds fell out of the sky dead in arkansas may possibly kind of sort of maybe be that it had something kind of sort of to do with kind of sort of the uh, don't ask don't tell you know. land where a hundred thousand drumfish died and also where these birds just fell out of the air there we go um yeah so if you um God was apparently sending us a message with bird apocalypse, but thankfully we have Cindy Jacobs, who obviously has been to the William Tapley School of uh, Prophetic Headline Reading, uh, to connect the dots for us so that we can understand the clear message, kind of, sort of, maybe, if the kind of, uh, that possibly could be, yeah, whatever. Okay, and now for uh, part three of our absurdity trifecta for the day. Uh, Joshua Mills uh, from December 28th of uh, just, you know, basically a month ago, uh, uh, yeah, a little less than a month ago, apparently um, at the Blessed International event, uh, claiming that people, um, well, are you looking for a wrinkle miracle? I mean, do you suffer from crow's feet? Um, do you do you have problems that does it look like your face is uh, well you know a, a road map and when you look at Google Maps and then you look in the mirror do you see no difference well <laughs> good news Joshua Mills may be able to help you get a wrinkle miracle here we go tonight and he's wanting to put his glory in it come on the Bible says oh, that's good love covers all and I see the love of God coming down upon marriages even right now. And bringing restoration and bringing wholeness and beginning to answer questions. Yeah, I just got a question. Wasn't Joshua Mills the guy that uh, was talking about weight loss miracles? He was calling them out. He, uh, <clears throat> he looks like he needs one of those. And beginning to solve difficulties. I see the presence of God's glory just coming and making all things new. Uh, new. <laughs> new. Making all things new, brand 
spanking new. Now it's time to cue the satanic laughter. Brand spanking new. <laughs> wow, is that creepy? Brand spanking new. Just like a little baby, brand new. Fresh out of the oven, hallelujah. There are a lot of people in the audience who think that they're hearing uh, something really cool from God, and yeah, they're not. Brand new. Some of you right now, tonight, you're receiving a touch in your body. Several years ago, I was in the south of France ministering in Montelamar, France. The Lord spoke to me a word, said, I'm removing wrinkles from people. Wow, so God the Holy Spirit told you in France that he was removing wrinkles from people. Wow, what an amazing God that is. He's just like a plastic surgeon without all the expensive bills. I spoke the word. I spoke it like this. I said, the Lord's removing wrinkles from people's faces. The problem with what I said... There was a woman here in the front row. She was an English lady, Canadian. She yelled out. She said, the wrinkles I got aren't on my face. Well, now that's embarrassing. The Lord used that to correct me. Blasphemy. Because the Lord said he was removing wrinkles. And I interpreted and said, the Lord's removing wrinkles. And I said, on people's faces. (laughs) See how we can limit God? Even at the times when we think we're just letting the Spirit of God move. How- oh, yeah. See, I mean, uh, who knew? I mean, that God's w- uh, wrinkle miracles were not limited to just the wrinkles on your faces. How convenient that you're going to be healed from miracle uh, from wrinkles that nobody can see. Oh, but I, except for you, of course. We can just so easily limit God with our words or our thinking or our mindsets or, or how we perceive something. God's wanting that we would take the box off. Now, that's some out-of-the-box thinking. I mean, wow, God wants us to know he's not in the box and that if he's going to be throwing out wrinkle miracles, that he might do more than just cure you of facial wrinkles. Oh, wow, that's some out-of-the-box thinking there, Joshua. And we would take the limits off. The Lord corrected me through her, and I, I had to apologize, and I said, I stand corrected. The Lord is removing wrinkles. Wherever you got them, he's removing them. Hallelujah. You know, that's not hallelujah-able. Anyway, that was our absurdity trifecta for the day. Wow, is that bad. Okay, moving along here. From the uh, Christian Institute website at www.christian.org.uk. Homosexuals try to crush Christian bed and breakfast. Uh, Homosexual couples have besieged a Christian-run guest house with bookings for double rooms, uh, seemingly in a bid to destroy the business. It follows uh, last week's high-profile court ruling 
ordering Peter and Hazel Mary Bull to pay 3,600 pounds in damages to a homosexual couple who sued uh, because double rooms were restricted to married couples. Mrs. Bull, 66, has also received abusive and menacing phone calls, but she uh, cannot ignore the phone because her 71-year-old husband has been critically ill and in the hospital. So apparently, see, it's not enough now that that they have to pay damages. Now, at this point, uh, you got menacing phone calls. uh, Basically, homosexuals in in a bid to basically destroy their business. And the, the reason why I bring this up, number one, you need to pray for them. Number two, you need to pray for the folks in the, U, in the UK. But also that uh, I've learned this firsthand. Uh, when you go out and you oppose the homosexual agenda, when the homosexuals hit back, they, they, don't, they, they don't hit back with light punches. They go for the jugular. You know, I remember back uh, right after Christmas, I mean, they hacked into uh, Pirate Christian Radio's servers and took us off the air, literally took us off the air for several hours. And, uh, you know, and it, wow, what a mess that was. So, uh, yeah, when you go, and, and they went after our advertisers too, and we lost a couple of them. So, uh, you know, pray for the uh, for the Bull family. Um, it just it doesn't look good for them. It looks like they're probably going to lose their bed and breakfast, and financially they're going to be ruined. And uh, as a result of what's going on, but this is, hey, you know, I I got to tell you, when you speak up against the homosexual agenda, even in the church of all places, and you dare to say what the scriptures teach about homosexuality, when the, when the homosexuals come after you, they don't come after you, you know, just to send a small message. They come after you to destroy you. And so uh, pray for that uh, couple out there. All right, moving along here. Um, this requires me to pull up um, YouTube and uh, get the uh, uh, the Schlitz. Uh, y- y'all remember the, Is it? can it even be called a beer? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, when I was in college, and the, uh, the uh, my roommates, and, and this is the funny thing, when, when I was in college uh, and I was going to University of California Irvine my first year, my roommates were total partiers, and I was I was still a very uptight Nazarene Christian, so I didn't do this, um, and, and and I still you know, I'm not advocating it today at all. But I mean, anyway, over on the weekends, what they would do is that they they basically uh, would well you know get blitzed. And they were always looking for a cheap, cheap, cheap beer to do it with. Well, Schlitz seemed to be the uh, uh, the standard favorite of, uh, of poor college students when I was a kid. But anyway, I, I say all that because um, Dan Phillips from the Pyromaniacs blog, he has a post that he did a couple weeks ago entitled, What Did Jesus Not Say About God's Desire for Us? And... Uh, and so I, and he makes an allusion to the old Schlitz commercials. And can you believe Schlitz is actually they've they've put it back onto the market? How on earth does such a poor excuse for beer plan to compete in today's mar? I uh, well, it's obviously going for the low end. Anyway, um, let me see here. So. This begins with a Joel Osteen quote. Dan Phillips writes, "says God wants you to have your best life right now." 
the, the perspective I'm reading into the phrase is that of the old Schlitz commercial. You only go around once in life, so you've got to grab for the, all the gusto you can. On religious lips, the intent is to not deny an afterlife or celestial blessings, but to sideline them by focusing everything on the here and now. So uh, Dan Phillips is making an allusion to uh, the old Schlitz beer commercials about going for the gusto. Here's one of them. Treasure hunt isn't a kid's game when you're living and your life depend on it. Sharks don't play games. Their ancestors must have had quite a feast 250 years ago. Yeah, by the way, the uh, the, the occasion for this particular Schlitz beer commercial is um, it shows scuba divers diving off of a ship, uh, a ship and, and seeking after um, treasure. You know, from sunken galleons, and it shows a shark. And I mean, talk about living the uh, the bold life here, scuba diving for buried or for sunken treasure. Wow, I connect that and Schlitz. Yeah, never. When a hurricane sank a fleet of Spanish galleons, along with fourteen million dollars in gold doubloons and pieces of eight. If you're lucky, you find some of it. If you're even luckier, you live to tell about it. And man, that's when you know what life really is. You only go around once. You gotta grab for all the gusto you can, even in the beer you drink. Why settle for less? When you're out of Schlitz, you're out of beer. Uh, when you're out of Schlitz, you're out of beer. It's not a beer. I, I don't know what that is, but it's not a beer. Anyway, um, the uh, the point that uh, that <clears throat> yeah, so what Dan Phillips is saying here in this article is is that uh, the God wants you to have your best life now is kind of the same message that the old Schlitz beer commercials uh, used to have, and that is you only go around once in life, so you've got to grab for all the gusto you can. Now, on religious lips, the intent is to not deny the an afterlife or celestial blessings, but just to sideline those things by focusing everything on the here and the now. Your best life now means good health, good loving, good money, good house, good goodies, good success in my endeavors. It means success and prosperity on my terms here and now. Does Jesus say that God that that's God's priority for us? It has to stand as a singular perversity that this meaning is extracted from John 10:10 10, 10, part B, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly that some one could read this verse and immediately connect connect life with material prosperity or success in pursuing my goals is very revealing and not in a good way. Is this what God sees when he looks down on mankind? Ah, me, if only they had more things. If only they had their way more often. If only they were more free of all the suffering and trial. Is that what God thinks? Now here now here comes the thing about Christianity that too many don't seem to get. We needn't and mustn't guess. God has already told us what he thinks when he looks at us. Psalm 53 says, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. 
They have all fallen away together and have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So God primarily sees and assesses the human condition in relationship to himself. Are men primarily related to him is the question he asks. No is the answer. This makes perfect sense with what Jesus says in so many words. When asked to single out the most important thing in life, the form of the question as posed was, which is the greatest commandment in the law? But as we know from Jesus' well-known and well-understood worldview, the commandments of the law were revelations of the mind and the will of God. Therefore, to single out the most important of these was to single out what was foremost to God and therefore what is foremost in the universe. How did Jesus reply? Quote, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Neither commandment had anything to do with getting my way for myself to make me happy. Neither sends me back plummeting into the trackless vortex of my passions and cravings and demands. No, the commands send me out of myself in outward seeking love, first to God himself and then to the image of God in my neighbor. That, you might say, is our great ultimate and consuming destination. Ah, but how do I get there from here? That's the problem. That's my problem. Here I am chained to a heart that is a, lab- a, labator- a, lab- <clears throat> a laboratory, a laboratory of sin. Jesus says in Matthew 15, uh, 15, 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. I am flesh, born of the flesh, and of myself I can never aspire to be more than flesh. More, I am natu- I'm a natural-born citizen and denizen of a world that hates God and his, hu- and his truth. I fit in just fine with the world. What is the answer? Jesus gave it. I need him to pay the ransom price for my stead, to free me from guilt and the power of my sin. I need to be born again by the Spirit of God to change my nature from without. I need to pass from death into life into faith in Christ. And then, what is life to me? After you've passed from death to life, what then is life? Life is a life where I am on my way, on a trip, just passing through. This world no longer is my home, not now and anyway, and not this world. This world hated my Lord, and it will hate me. In it, I should expect to suffer. I will be poor in spirit, will mourn, must be meek, will hunger and thirst for righteousness, will be persecuted for righteousness' sake, will be reviled and persecuted and accused of all kinds of evil against you falsely on Christ's account. I will expect not to climb onto a Rolls Royce, but to take up a cross as the means of my own execution and learn to say no to myself daily. But in all of this and more, I must rejoice and be glad, not expecting God to send me a diamond ring or a mansion in Bermuda, but assuredly expecting something far better. I will expect to see God in his glory. I will expect to see his kingdom. I will expect the rewards infinitely outweigh the sorrows, and that expectation constantly spills over into the present and gives me a reason for hope and joy and rejoicing 
and gladness. This world is a gymnasium, a war theater, a testing ground. Best life now? Hardly. Dan Phillips, excellent job. Great article. Mucho important points. And that's right. How is it that we have allowed pastors in the church to hijack John 10.10 Part B? I came that you might have life and have it abundantly to be translated into having stuff. That's not the abundant life. That's just more idolatry and selfishness. Christ came to set us free from sin. Through the gospel, through the forgiveness of sins won by Christ, through repentance and the forgiveness of sins, the proclamation of the gospel, Christ in him crucified and raised again on the third day for our justification, our sinful flesh is mortified. And rather than being bent in on ourselves, God the Holy Spirit begins to produce repentant fruit in our life, where we turn away from ourselves and turn towards our neighbor and towards God in love. This is what happens to Christians in their regenerate nature. When you pervert Christianity and the words of Jesus that I, I came to have life and have it, that you might have life and life in abundant, to turn it into possessions and wealth and health and more loving and all that kind of stuff, that is a purely self-focused, narcissistic twisting of God's word. And that's not what Jesus meant. In fact, that's not Christianity. That is far, far closer to what's taught in the Satanic Bible, written by Anton LaVey. Don't believe me? Pick up a copy. Go to the library. Read it. It's all about me. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. I mean, seriously, it, we're doing a sermon from the basically a sermon series from the Godfather. Here we go. The good, the bad, the uh, ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Daybreak Church in Hudsonville, Michigan. Wes Dupin, lead pastor. Dupin. Yeah, I feel like the folks there at Daybreak, they've been duped in... Does that work? The name of the sermon, the series is entitled The Godfather. The uh, sermon itself, this one is named Sleeping with the Fishes. In fact, I should just change the music here. Hang on, let me change channels. And, you know, rather than playing that, what we really should be playing is, um, well, this. Here, here we go. I told you not to get in debt to the credit card companies. Now I'm going to have to do something I don't really want to do. See, you know, you listen up here. Jesus doesn't want you being in debt to no credit card companies, because then you can't tithe. You listening to me? better cut up them credit cards or I'm going to have you sleeping with the fishes. That's what's going to be happening to you. And you better get out of debt or else. I'm just saying. 
No, that's not a threat. It's a promise. <laughs> I just want the best for you. You know that. Your happiness is the most important thing for me ever. So you need to get out of debt, or else you'll be you'll be sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> Sorry, I just I don't I don't know where that came from. I. <laughs> anyway, so without any further ado, um, here is um. The Godfather sleeping with the fishes from Daybreak in Hudsonville, Michigan. I want to welcome you again today for the uh, second installment of our series, Godfather. And uh, we're excited that you're here on this second Sunday of a brand new year. And uh, last week we kicked it off and started talking about something that's uh, very real and pertinent to our lives, and that has to do with. Um, our own personal economics, and so much of this uh, has to do with um, how we live and personal happiness. I read an article some time ago, uh, a story, an in-depth interview about uh, with Johnny Depp, the actor, and he was asked uh, the question, does money make you happy? He says, uh, not really. What makes me happy is the fact that I take my money and I buy things like big boats, and he said, the big boat is what makes me happy. A lot of times we, we look at our money as the end all to everything, and it's going to provide the happiness and well-being uh, for our lives. And we're going to get in uh, more into that a little bit later here today. Today I want us to look at six danger signs of entering what I call the debt trap the de yeah the debt trap that's when you'd be sleeping with the fishes um yeah listen carefully to what he's uh, gonna be uh, just ask yourself this question um do i need a crucified and risen savior for this could i learn this someplace else other than church why is he taking an entire sermon time to teach these so-called principles and not really actually teaching us what the Bible says. And is this law or is it all gospel? And then here's the other question. <clears throat> if you're not in debt, are you really, really more like Jesus? Are you more obedient to God? Yeah, is that the sign? Debt trap. And so uh, before we get started, let's just pause for a moment of prayer. Dear God, we thank you today for your blessings. We thank you for... What you have allowed us to have, we know it all comes from you. Uh, the fact that you give us life, you give us the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the food that we eat. You cause our heart to beat. You cause our brains to work. And Lord, um, we recognize that. And today, I ask that you would take this simple message and speak to every person here today, regardless of where they are on the economic spectrum. We pray these things in your name. Amen and amen. You say, well, Wes, what is the debt trap? Not death, but debt trap. It's not over. You may feel 
a sense of hopelessness and you may feel like there is absolutely no way out. I am so mired down in debt, there is absolutely no way. Well, what is it? Well, it's a trap because it enslaves you. It, it enslaves you. And when you get into debt, you, you lose your freedom. Now, it's kind of like this um, mouse right here that I have. And, and he's experiencing real freedom until he um, goes for <laughs> this cheese. I was afraid he was going to do that. He escaped, by the way. Um, this, mal this mouse here ordinarily would be caught in that trap. And that's really what happens to a lot of us. Now, some of us, we escape the trap, but uh, we've been damaged. We're hurt. Here's what it says in Proverbs, a book over in the Old Testament. It says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the person who borrows is a servant to the lender. Anytime you take out a loan, anytime uh, you go into debt to someone, to a company, to an individual, to a party of people, you really become a slave, kind of like this, this mouse right here. Okay, so i got to ask the question. So if I don't have any debt and I'm not a slave to anybody financially, does that, does that mean that I'm obeying God? Does that make me more obedient? Does it make me more holy? Does it make me more sanctified? What about mortgages? I mean, if you're at a 30-year mortgage, is that somehow, does that mean that you aren't holy, that you're not sanctified, that you're disobeying God? By the way, if you want to really understand the book of Proverbs, you are, it, you are not correctly interpreting it or understanding it. If you're, if you're understanding it in the light, here are the things that I need to apply to my life so that I can be more obedient. And by doing them, then I'm more obedient, and then therefore God looks down and goes, oh, you're more obedient, so I'm going to bless you. You know, Proverbs begins with a statement, you know, very early on that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, you can, you can take that passage, and I think a perfect cross-reference for it is Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So fear of the Lord and faith, I think are, are, we're dealing with very similar concepts here. And the idea is this. The message that Jesus calls the church to proclaim is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins are given freely by God's grace on account of Christ. And through repentance and the forgiveness of sins, the work of the Holy Spirit that regenerates us, God brings us to our knees in despair of our own self-righteousness, our own ability to please God, brings us to, to the point of realizing that we are spiritually destitute, or as Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the person who has nothing to offer God, but can only cry out, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. That's the fear of the Lord. That's faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when somebody preaches stark, naked, 
works righteousness. Apply this biblical principle. Look at this proverb and apply this to your life. But isn't preaching that through repentance and faith in Christ? Not as a fruit of faith or a fruit of repentance. They're preaching the law and basically wrongly teaching in such a way that you think that you're obedient purely because you've applied said principle. And usually those principles are taught in such a way that they're easily attainable. Just apply these three simple applications and boomo blamo, now you're obeying God. Ta-da! No. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so when we look at the book of Proverbs, it is a book that literally doesn't make sense without repentant faith and trust in Christ. Because it is a book chock full of what we refer to theologically as the third use of the law. Okay, There are three proper uses of the law. The first use is to curb sin. God uses the law to keep us from beating up on each other and stealing each other's stuff. Okay, That's the first use of the law. Second use of the law is the primary use. As Romans 3.20 says, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's through the law that you realize you are a miserable, rotten sinner who has nothing, nothing, nothing to offer God. You are bankrupt. You are so far in debt to God because of your sin that you haven't got a snowball's chance in hell of ever working that debt off. Even if you were to live a thousand lives as an angel, you still couldn't do it. So that debt is paid for you by the shed blood of Christ. So the second use of the law is the primary use. That's the one that shows you you have nothing. It drives you to your knees. And the third use is a use only, only, only for Christians. And it is never to be used or preached in such a way that it is apart from or divorced from repentant faith in Christ. It is never to be divorced from the cross. It's always preached in the shadow of the cross under the guise of take up your cross daily and follow me. And it shows us, the third use of the law shows us what a good work is. It shows us what does it mean to walk out love of God and love of neighbor. That's what it does. Okay, third use of the law is that. So if you're going to preach from the Proverbs, if you don't set it up right, if you don't preach it in light of the cross, you don't set up law and gospel correctly, you are going to basically deceive people into thinking that they're earning things from God as a wage for them properly applying biblical principles to their lives. Inside, wow, inside this trap, um, you become a slave. And uh, By the way, he has a big mousetrap prop. Um, you feel that, and you feel indebted to this person. It seems like uh, I get an offer almost every week. In fact, sometimes there's two or three a week of offers that I get from, from companies offering me credit cards. And I mean, some of them really get like personal that they know me. Uh, Dear Wesley, you are one of our preferred customers, and we want to give you the top 
card that we have, the platinum card. And uh, this card is our very best because you're the very best. And this card is going to make you happy. You know the one thing I don't read in some of these uh, letters that I get, these proposals from various banks and in institutions and companies? I never see the word debt. Never see it. I never see the word debt. It's not in the fine print. It's not on the application. By the way, you are signing up for debt. I know it's a very uncomfortable word. And uh, we don't even like to bring it up here today, the word debt. You're afraid of the word debt. I wonder what you think about the word sin. If you looked up the synonyms for the word debt, here, here are just a few that you're going to find. And I wrote down several of them. To owe, to be obligated, liable, in default, insolvent, in over one's head, pauper, beaten down, stripped, destitute. By the way, these are great. Oh, man. These, these synonyms for the word debt, they're perfect synonyms for sin and what, is ha what happens to us as a result of our sinful rebellion against God. As a result of it, we have racked up to high heaven this huge, unpayable debt to God that we cannot pay through our good works. We can't. It's impossible. And let me point out a couple of verses or a couple of passages that I think that really bear this out. One kind of backhanded and the other really far more comforting. The first is found in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. I read, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him and went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, <clears throat> read into it what you want, who was a sinner when she uh, learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now, do you think the law had done its work on this woman? Are you seeing the fruit of repentance and contrition, sorrow for sins, and a complete awareness of her own unrighteousness? Yeah, you are. <clears throat> now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who, what, what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. Notice the language. She is a sinner. Apparently the Pharisee isn't. Jesus, and, you know, by the way, <clears throat> I think that's kind of interesting. It doesn't say that she's a prostitute. She's a, it never says it. It just says that she's a sinner. Now, it'd be one thing if it said that she's a prostitute. But no, the Pharisee's saying in his mind, she's a sinner. Apparently in a different category than he is. At least the Pharisee 
thinks that he's being obedient to God, that he's keeping God's law, that he's really pulling it off, so he's not in the category of sinner, right? Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He answered, well, say it, teacher. Now, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When neither could pay, he canceled the debt of both. Let me read that statement again. When neither could pay, one owed 500 denarii, the other owed only 50, a tenth of what the other one owed, right? Neither of them could pay. No imagination is necessary to interpret what this parable is going, what's going on here. The, The one who owed the 500 denarii, well, that's the sinner woman, right? The uh, the one who owed the 50, that's Simon the Pharisee, right? Both of them are debtors. Who's the one they owe, they owe the debt to? God. And Jesus said, neither of them could pay. So he canceled the debt of both. Neither of them could pay. So... He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I, I, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And he said to him, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many. Jesus acknowledges that she's a sinner. Her sins which are many, are forgiven. She loved much. You could tell they're forgiven because she's loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus didn't say, Your obedience has saved you. You're uh, applying uh, the correct principles to your life so that you can get out of debt have saved you. Uh, your Uh, cleaning up your act and, and getting straight with God has saved you. No, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Your debt is canceled. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Other one is similar to it, but it's not in story form. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Paul writing against the Colossian heresy, which is kind of a works righteous mystical Pharise- uh, Phariseeism kind of 
the her- heresy that was going on. I want you to know how great a struggle, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of the God's mysteries, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one might delude you with plausible-sounding arguments. For though I am absent in body, I am yet with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, an empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, you were dead in trespasses, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made you alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The picture here is that you and I, we are just like that sinner woman All of us are. We've ragged up this huge debt that we cannot pay to God. And Jesus said, the moneylender canceled the debt of both. Listen to this. How was our debt canceled? Paul says it. Verse 13, Colossians 2.13, And you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's a big receipt nailed to the cross. And you can you can just see those big nails and the blood dripping off of them, knowing that they had been pounded into the flesh of our great God and Savior, that it was your sin and mine who nailed them that nailed them to the cross. And now the only thing that stands on the cross is a big note, a receipt written in blood red. The words read, debt paid in full. Who would you rather be? 
Simon the Pharisee? Or that sinner woman? Whom Jesus said to her, and he says to all who are brought to their knees in realizing they cannot pay their debt to God. They have nothing. They, had, they don't even have a slug nickel that they can offer God. A debt so huge you can't even begin to pay it. And the debt has been paid in full. And Jesus says to you, just like he said to that sinner woman, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. So, Wes here, I, I, all these words that he's using to describe debt, synonyms of debt, so sad that he's just applying it to finances when he could be really driving it home and bringing it all back to Christ and the debt that he paid for each and every one of us on the cross. We continue. Penniless, needy, lacking, distressed, in difficulty, a deadbeat, reduced to pain, embarrassed. I like this one. Having a wolf at the door, living hand to mouth, beggarly, having seen better days, Listen to this one. Gone to the dogs, bad off, hard up, fleece, broke, busted. You never find that in one of these credit card applications where they're saying, you are one of our preferred customers and uh, we just want to honor you by taking you down the road of debt. They never, never say that. Uh, it never appears in an ad on TV or in the newspaper. And they are saying to us, what we want is for you to be in debt to us. They're not just handing out these cards because they want to make you happy. They want you in debt to them. And today I want to give you six danger signs that uh, you are in over your head. Six danger signs that you need to take some drastic, some drastic steps, uh, measures in your finances um, to get out. And we're going to talk about how to get out next week. But today, I just want to give you the signs. And you, and you may not... You know, I'm almost tempted to, pre- uh, to preach a counter-sermon during the sermon. While he's doing that, I, you know, I'm going to give you the 10 biblical signs that you are in debt up to your eyeballs and beyond, in debt to God because of your sin. So as he gives each of his different signs that you're in debt, I'm going to give you the ten signs that you are in debt up to your eyeballs to God. not have any of these. Uh, some of you could have maybe a partial of one, and some of you may sit there today and go, oh, the, I've got all of them, Wes. What do I do now? Well, There is hope, and we're going to talk a lot about that next week. But today I want to talk to you about uh, heading into the debt trap and some of the signs of heading into the debt trap. Okay, here we go. And uh, these these will be for you to write them down, and uh, we're going to see what it says in the Scripture from the wisest, uh, wealthiest man of his time, Solomon, what he says. 
Number one, living on credit instead of paying cash. Living on credit instead of paying cash. The rule is very simple here. Okay, so that's his, uh, you know, sign number one that you're, you're, you've got a debt problem. Now I'm going to give you sign number one that you you have a debt problem, and your debt isn't to a credit card company. Your debt is to God. Okay, sign number one: you have other gods beside the one true God. That means you don't fear, love, and trust the one true God above all things. Yeah, that's that's right. The the commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. So if you trust in money or wealth or sex or uh or in a different god or you're uh, you're guilty of following a false religion or trusting in yourself or you know, it doesn't matter. Whatever you fear, love and trust in above all things, that's your god. Uh, that's the if this, this is sign number one that you have a huge, huge, ginormous debt problem, and God is the one you owe the debt to. Let's continue. Here, it's very simple. If you have to use a credit card, if you have to use a credit card to maintain your lifestyle, you're spending too much money. It's as simple as that. If you have cash, use cash. Pay it now. Don't move into using that credit card. Now, again, I want to back up here a moment. I know that there are situations, particularly when we travel or uh, we're making a purchase over the Internet or whatever, that it's impossible to to use cash. But for the most part, I'm talking about uh, going down that road that leads to uh, the debt trap. How do you know you are living on credit? It's simple. The balance just keeps going up. Red flags are going up. Now, keep in mind, every day that you sin, the balance keeps going up. The debt keeps increasing, and the the debt that you owe to God, and you can't even come close to touching. You can't even pay the interest, yet alone the principal. Sirens are going off. Whistles are sounding. You are moving very close to a real problem with your credit. It shows the lack of contentment in your life. Just to be very honest about this. You're saying, I'm not really, I'm not really happy with the way things are going. And uh, I, 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 need, I need to do something to kind of give me a, a little adrenaline shot. So I'm going to take that credit card and I'm going to go into debt. Here's what studies show. If you use a credit card you'll spend 23% more money. Listen to this. You'll spend 23% more money in a store than if you use cash. Isn't that amazing? Okay, I'm going to ask, I'm going to just reframe this. Who cares? Seriously, your, your, your problem is so much more severe than this. Do you know Tiger Woods? Yeah, he's a multi-bazillionaire. You know, yeah, he doesn't have any credit card debt. None whatsoever. Do you think Tiger Woods is more Christ-like and more obedient to God because he doesn't have any credit card debt? You know, just asking the question. That's almost a quarter more. Instead of spending $100 with cash, what you'll end up doing if you use the credit card, you'll go to almost $125. You say, well, why? Because it's easy. It's very easy. It's like Monopoly money. It's like... Little, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. It's like play money. And so what we tend to do here, we use it. We use it. There's no hurt to it. When I hand that plastic over, 
uh, to uh, the person that's uh, checking me out. So let's be honest. Spending, spending money can be fun. I'll be the first to say that. Spending money can be fun. There's a, there's a rush to it. There, there's fun to it when you're, you're laying that plastic down and, and, and you're just saying, man, I get to take this home right now. We love the instant gratification. We're built that way. We're, we're designed that way. Uh, we're, we're, we're seeking pleasure, so to speak. There is this rush, but you're headed down toward the dead trap. Number two, danger sign, write this one down, delaying payments or paying off the minimum due. This is Okay, uh, again, I'm kind of doing a counter sermon while he's doing this. Sign number two, that you have a huge debt problem and that God is the one you owe the debt to. Sign number two, and it's uh, you have taken the Lord's name in vain. That means that you, uh, that you, that you curse or or you swear, or you've used witchcraft, or you've lied and deceived using God's name rather than calling upon it every trouble, praying, praising, and giving thanks. So if you have taken God's name in vain, you have a huge debt problem. You in your oh man, it you are swimming in debt that you haven't got the even the remotest possibility of being able to pay back. There's another sign. Another sign, kind of like, wow, you're moving very quickly to the debt trap, to the debt trap. If you're missing payments, if you're missing payments, that's a huge sign you're in the debt trap. I remember early in our marriage, uh, Claudia and I uh, had two or three credit cards, and um, we started putting too many items on our credit card, and pretty soon they had built up to such a level that um, we were just paying the minimum due. And uh, again, when you do the arithmetic here, it's almost impossible. It takes years sometimes to to pay a credit card off just paying the minimum due. So uh, be very, very careful here. In fact, uh, if you're doing any of the following, I'll just give you a few things. Making payments late. Uh, not good. Making minimum payments on your credit card, not good. Con- now, do you notice that I could uh, I could get this just from a good financial planner? But the one thing a good financial planner is not going to be able to give me? Christ and Him crucified for my sins. Sound biblical doctrine. Constantly under tension over your money. Not good. It's not good for... Uh, your marriage relationship or relationship with other people. It's not good for your body, your, your own mental well-being. Uh, bouncing checks, using reserve accounts to pay bills. Bottom line, you're spending, you're spending more money than you're making. Okay, it's- now, just, again, I just got to ask a question. Um, if you spend less money than you make, does that make you holy? Does that mean that you're obedient? Tiger Woods, coming back to Tiger Woods, you know, he makes more money than he spends even after he's lost all of his endorsement deals. Does that mean that Tiger Woods is more Christ-like and more obedient to God? It's as simple as that. And again, I know some of you are going, Wes, isn't this basic? Isn't this simple arithmetic? Yes, it is. But there's a trap here. It's just like one of these traps up here. It sucks you in, and pretty soon 
You're buying into it like the mouse here. You're buying into it, going for the cheese, the instant gratification, and bam, there it is. Here's what it says in Romans, chapter 13, verse 7 and verse 8. It says very simply, pay your bills, don't run up debts. Wow. Pay your bills, don't run up debt. Okay, stop, 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 stop. Oh, man. I mean, by the way, he's quoting Romans. I mean, you'd think that Romans was, you know, kind of like one of those, you know, encyclopedias of godly living, you know. Um, no, Paul spends a lot of time in Romans talking about the, uh, the, the difference between justification by works, which no one will be justified by keeping God's law, and the righteousness of God that is imputed to us by faith, salvation by faith, by on account of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Only after he clearly enunciates that, clearly teaches that, clearly preaches that, defends that, and proclaims that, does he then get to the sections where he says, therefore, verse chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, in light of God's mercies, think the cross. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So Romans 13 picks up kind of in that stream of the third use of the law, telling us what a good work is as Christians. Romans 13, 1, let me me read. Let every person, every Christian, be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed— um, and for those and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he, the ruler, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all that is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except for to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall love, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, you sh- and any other commandment are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. None of that makes any sense without the cross. And not only that, none of it is even remotely accomplishable without faith and repentant trust in Christ. 
and it wasn't written to give you principles by which you would make yourself pleasing to God. It was written to Christians who are already made pleasing to God on account of what Christ has done. We are set free from sin. We are not set free to sin. And so our lives as Christians show forth good works because they can't help but do so, for we are new creations in Christ. Yeah, so this verse that he read out of context, I mean, when you look at it back in context, you get a fuller and deeper meaning here, and one that points us back to the cross. Just saying. That's right here in the Bible. Makes it very clear. All right. Danger sign number three, unable to tithe or save. Back to the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Okay, danger sign number three. Danger sign number three that you owe God a huge debt. Yeah, that you are a huge debtor and that you have no possibility of whatsoever of... of, uh, extricating yourself from this debt. And uh, it, it, here, here's what it is. This is that you have not kept the Sabbath day holy. Uh, that means that you, ha- you have despised the preaching of God's word, and you have not hold God's word sacred, and you have not gladly heard it and learned it. Instead, you found something else more important to do yeah, than, than to sanctify the holy day and to keep the, you know, you know, to to hear God's word and love and hear it and hear the preaching of it. Nope, nope. Yeah, see, so th- danger sign number three is is that you haven't sanctified the holy day. Moving along, man robbed God, and then he comes back and he says, "And yet you've robbed me." But you ask, "How do we rob you?" And then he answers back in tithes and offerings. The point here. Oh, good gravy! Uh, yeah, the the New Testament believer, you know, gives to God uh, basically what, according not out of compulsion, but out of love for God. Notice he takes this passage that refers to the tithe, the ten percent tax that was exacted from people who were citizens of ancient Israel, and somehow applies it to us. That if you don't tithe, then you're not being of Oh, brother. God takes this very serious. This, this is not a, a laughing matter. It's not something like, ah, it's not really for me. That may be for a few religious folks. No, God takes this very serious. This is very serious stuff. If you're not saving any of your money, if you're not tithing, you're spending too much money. You really are. And it's, it's really basic here. Uh, if, if, if you're not tithing, he says, you're robbing God. You're just simply robbing God. I didn't say that. God's word says that. And I think if we're really serious about following Christ. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, written to Christians. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Christians who are saved by grace through faith give what they've decided to give in their heart, and they don't do it reluctantly, nor do they do it under compulsion. They do it because they are cheerful givers, and what is it that makes them cheerful? The forgiveness of their sins so freely given to them, their debt that was canceled. 
by the blood of Christ. You want to make somebody a cheerful giver? Preach the gospel to them. Preach the law in all of its sternness and then turn around and let them know that they have been let off the hook and that their great debt of 500 denarii, just like that sinner woman, has been totally canceled and that they now have peace with God because of the shed blood of Christ. You let them know how big their debt is. You let them know how beggarly they are. And then you tell them about how all of that was canceled by the shed blood of Christ. You preach the gospel that way. You'll turn everybody in your congregation into a cheerful giver. They, they can't help but give. And what they decide in their heart to give, you just never know. It might be more than that mandatory 10% that you claim is robbing God. Misapplying that text and applying it to Christians when in context, that text isn't applying to Christians. It's applying to people who were citizens of Israel. Christ, we're really serious about leading our families in the right direction. We're really serious about honoring God. This is a principle. This is a principle, not as an option. This is a must-keep principle. And again, maybe, maybe you're not there, and you say, Wes, I am so deep into debt. I can't even think about a tithe. I can't even think about, uh, you know, the savings. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. If you were profusely bleeding, wouldn't you do something wouldn't you put a, at least a Band-Aid, a, a, a bandage of some sort, and, and, and try to get some of the bleeding stop? Start somewhere. How on earth do you expect God to bless you and to bless your... Whoa. Did you hear that? How on earth do you expect God to bless you? What does that statement reveal? What does that statement reveal? Reveal. Let me play it again, backing up the tape just a smidge. Listen again. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. If you were profusely bleeding, wouldn't you do something? Wouldn't you put a, at least a Band-Aid, a, a, a bandage of some sort, and, and, and try to get some of the bleeding stop? Start somewhere. How on earth do you expect God to bless you and to bless your finances if you take this lightly, if how do you expect God to bless you and to bless your finances if you take this lightly? Again, I come back to Tiger Woods. I think he's a just a perfectly great example here. Tiger Woods is uh, publicly said that he's a Buddhist. Tiger Woods has never once paid a tithe to a church. Would you think that, based on on how much money he has, would you think that for a second that maybe, just maybe, Tiger Woods seems blessed? How on earth did that happen? If how on earth do you expect God to bless you in your finances if you don't tithe? Something's way off here. This is utter nonsense, and it's a complete preaching of the law and a mishandling of the biblical text, forcing people to give out a compulsion. Well, God can't bless me unless I tithe. 
If you're going to be blessed by God by your obedience to the law, you will not be blessable until you've worked off your entire debt that you owe God because of your sins and then continue to live completely sinlessly and perfectly by the law. Those of you who want to be justified by the law, then you are under a curse because everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the law is cursed. That's what God's Word says. If you just simply say, I'm not going to buy into that, you're missing a very key part to God's blessing. And uh, basically, um, you know, the question is, are you robbing him? And not only robbing him, are you robbing yourself? Are you robbing yourself by not having no savings and not setting aside something? I I say to everybody, set aside something even, even if it's small, even if it's just $10 a week, set it aside Uh, for your future. Danger sign number four. This one may surprise you, but this is a danger sign. Um, Unable to pay taxes. Okay, danger sign number four, that you have a huge debt to God, okay? So big that you can't even remotely come close to possibly paying it off. uh, Danger sign number four, you have not honored your father and mother, as you should. Yeah. Yeah, that means that you uh that you have despised your parents or your employers if you would. Uh your masters, you haven't given them proper honor, you haven't served them, you haven't been obedient to them, and you have not held them in love and esteem. Instead, you've held them in derision, you've spoken poorly of them, you talk down to them, you treat them like garbage. Yeah, that's sign number 4 that you have a huge huge debt to God, and you are, I have no idea how you intend to pay this thing off, but that's sign number four that you have a, you have a huge debt to God. And by the way, um, if you've, if you've, any of these, any of the four danger signs that I've read to you so far, if any of them apply to you, 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 it's really bad because James, the brother of Jesus said that if you've broken even one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking them all. So if any of the first four danger signs apply to you, you're also guilty of the other three as well as the other ones I'm about to read. I meet people that just kind of shirk that off like, you know, out of money, can't pay my taxes. I want you to look at what uh, the Bible says here. In in Romans chapter uh, 13, verse 7, here's what it says. Fulfill your obligations as a citizen. Did you notice he's he's quoting Romans chapter 13, verse 7? He's quoting it twice, once from a paraphrase and once from a translation. <laughs> Just, never seen that one before. Pay your taxes. Again, that's not me. It's God's Word. This is, this is the book we live by. This is His love letter to you and me. This is how He says we are to follow Him. He says, pay your taxes. Then He says, pay your bills. And then He says, respect your leaders. Wow. Some very important things there. Important things. So you get to April 15th, and I... You know, I know some of us, we dread that, but... Notice the solution. He's preaching law, and it's condemning everybody that's hearing it. And the solution is the law. No, the solution is Christ and Him crucified. But, and you don't have the money to pay your taxes. The Bible says this in the opening book of the New Testament. Here's what it says in Matthew. 
And this is a group of people that were speaking to Jesus face to face. And here's what they said to him. So tell us honestly, they're speaking to Jesus. Tell us honestly, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Now that was the present government where they were uh, residing. Be just like uh, you and me today going, okay, do I have to pay taxes to Obama? I don't like Obama. I don't like the direction our government is going. Do, do I owe taxes to my government right now? This is what they're saying here or not. Now watch what Jesus says in response. This is very, very important. He says, give to Caesar what is his. Give to God what is his. He makes it very clear right up front. In other words, I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. We live in the neighborhood. We live in the United States. We have a responsibility to our government. And again, a later verse says, you're to respect your leaders. You're to respect the president. You're to respect those who lead the government. They may not uh, grant every wish that you have, and they may not be the person that uh, you had hoped for, but he says respect must be there. Danger sign number five, extravagant spending. Here's what it says. In, okay, danger sign number five, that you owe a huge, ginormous debt to God that you cannot pay. That is, you are guilty of murdering. Now, before you sit there and go, wait a second, I've never killed a human being. <laughs> Jesus said, if you say in your heart regarding your brother, Racha, you fool, you've already committed murder in your heart. So if you, uh, if you haven't feared, loved, and trusted in God so that you don't hurt or harm your neighbor, in his body and help him and befriend him in every bodily need, then you are guilty of uh, basically uh, committing the sin of murder. So um, if, uh, if you've, that's sign number five, that you owe a huge debt to God. And, and Proverbs 21.7, those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. Uh, the other day... Um, I was, I was reading about uh, this $200 nose hair remover. And I thought, man, I, I could show people a free one. And I thought this, uh, this morning I, I would give you a demonstration how to do this. And you don't even need to buy the $200 um, nose hair remover. Uh, just follow my instructions. Gonna, okay, I, I did not need that sermon illustration. I'm going to pause long enough to say my wife Claudia would be totally humiliated and embarrassed if I demonstrated this to you, so I'll leave it to your imagination. Um, but here's the point. Here's the point. When you buy things just because you have the money, that's stupid. It's just stupid. It's dumb. You know, I got the money so I can buy it. Um, you're headed to the debt trap and you're wasting your money. For example, um, this uh, little thing here could represent anything that uh, maybe you just got the money. Sure, uh, they call this a, a crotch rocket and um, pretty expensive bike. Yeah, it's a, like a Japanese-built uh, high-speed motorcycle, in case you didn't know what that is. And you say, well, Wes, I've got the money. 
I've got the money to do this, and uh, I want to spend it on something. Again, I, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to have this. Be fine. I, I wouldn't mind having it. But just because you got the money, this could be a trap for you. Just as much as, I, whoa, I, I did that right there. There goes the mousetrap illustration again. It could, it could be the thing that lures you into uh, going down the wrong path toward a debt trap. It, it could be anything. Um, you say, well, I got the money. Be careful here. Extravagant spending, just out of control spending, uh, could take you down a road that might not end for you in, in, in the right direction. It may end up in one of these traps, and, and there you're caught. Don't be stupid about this. Uh, you know, get your head on. The next danger sign here, number six, looking for get-rich-quick ideas. Proverbs... Okay, in my uh, counter-sermon... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, danger sign number six, seven, eight, and nine, and ten. Yeah, since he only has six, I have to kind of backfill this a little bit here. Uh, danger signs number six, seven, eight, nine, and ten that you owe a huge, huge debt to God. Uh, the the uh, this would be uh, you've number six. You've committed the sin of adultery. And you're thinking, well, I've never actually physically cheated on my spouse. Oh, don't worry. You've already broken this if you've ever look at, looked at somebody who isn't your spouse with lust in your heart. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's danger sign number six, that uh, you owe a huge debt to God. Number seven, that you've stolen. Yeah, that means that you've uh, taken something that actually has belonged to your neighbor, whether it's his money or his property or his products or anything. You've used, you've used, uh, you've stolen paper clips, pens. Yeah, you've stolen gum, merchandise. You've used the five finger discount while shopping. Yeah, you owe. That's that's danger sign number seven that you owe a huge debt to God. Number eight, you've actually lied. You've borne false witness against your neighbor. You've used deceit and you've betrayed, you've slandered or defamed a neighbor. Uh, yeah, that's danger sign number eight that you owe a huge debt to God. Number nine, uh, you've coveted your neighbor's house. You've looked at what your neighbor has and you said, oh man, the grass is greener. Man, I wish I had what my neighbor had. And you've sought ways of craftily getting his inheritance or his house or yeah, things of that nature. Number 10, you've coveted your neighbor's wife or something that he, that, that he owns, whether it's a... You know, it's his cattle or his car or his clothes. Yeah, it, so those are the 10 signs that uh, that you owe a huge debt to God. And if you're honest, you're really honest, then you'll say, you know what, Chris? Those are things that I did today yet alone things that I've done over the course of my life. Yep, you have. You have racked up a huge, unpayable debt to God. No amount of good works, no amount of applying biblical principles is even going to come close to canceling that debt. Yeah, I mean, you could live a thousand lives in angelic perfection, and you still could not pay that debt. Your only hope is Christ, because he's paid the debt for you. His blood has canceled the debt that stands against you. 
repent and be forgiven. The cross is your only hope. Your obedience can't save you. 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. We all want to get rich quick, don't we? I do, you do. I mean, if we would hear something right now that after the service, um, you could get rich really quick. If you would just invest $1,000 in one year, you're going to be worth $100,000. I think, I think we, even if we didn't have $1,000, we would beg, borrow, go to uncle, whoever, grandma, we would come up with $1,000 because in a year, I'm going to be worth $100,000. My dad taught me if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. Uh, the Bible says, run from this stuff. It's a trap. It's a trap. Don't fall for it. Don't go for it. And um, when you're in debt, you become the target for this kind of what I call con stuff. And it, it's nothing more than a con. It's nothing more than a than a big trap trying to, to grab a hold of you. There's always this desire for this big deal, and tomorrow it's going to make you rich. They don't want to do it the hard way. They're waiting uh, for the ship to come in. And I say about the ship coming in, stop for a moment. Start swimming out to the ship. Swim slowly. Swim very slowly. Paddle in that direction. But meantime, get a normal job. Get a normal job. Don't just keep thinking, tomorrow my ship's going to come in. I don't have to work. I don't have to work hard. I'll just pray a little prayer. Lord, help my ship to come in. Meantime, get a real job. Get a real job. Some people are waiting to win the lotto. I hear it all the time. There's hardly a moment now when I'm standing at a convenience store, the person in front of me, and I, I just want to hey, hold it, buddy. Why, why are you doing that? Why are you throwing your money away? I have one word for people who buy lotto tickets, who gamble, who play the, who play the lottery. Loser. <laughs> Loser. One word. I cannot comprehend, comprehend how, how serious, intelligent people will take their hard-earned cash, fly to Vegas, or for that matter, go into a convenience store, buy a lotto ticket, and just throw it away gambling. I, I don't get it. What a waste. In fact, the Bible calls it foolish. It says it's a dumb thing. And uh, I have some people I consider very smart. They go down this road, and I just want to go, what happens to their brain? They must momentarily take it out, put it on a shelf, pull the lever, buy the ticket, and the Bible makes it very clear, this is a dumb thing to do. And if you have a temptation in this area of your life, don't take your hard-earned cash and take your vacation to lost wages and spend it all and then come home wondering, why did I do that? Why did I do that? I've taken you through six danger signs today, danger uh, traps. And uh, next week, what I'm going to do 
is to show you how to get out of these and, and some things that will, will help you. There is a way out. And I want to I finish up here by saying God has hope. And um, he ha- God has hope. What kind of hope? God's going to work a financial miracle and get me out of debt? What, I mean, hope for what? He has hope in the waiting for you. And he wants to give that to you today. I really believe that with all my heart. I've had friends that they have fallen into one of these traps. They have fallen into the credit card trap. Uh, they've, so to speak, uh, become handcuffed in their lives. And uh, He's handcuffing himself now. Uh, visual aids. Uh, I hope I can get these things off. But um, they're, they're kind of living like this, hand to mouth. And uh, it's not very comfortable. And I, I, I just want to say, th- this is not God's plan for you. Not at all. He doesn't want you to be entrapped um, with these kinds of debts in your life. That is not his plan at all. And there is a way out, and he wants to help you. And again, I want to say the first thing, you must admit that you've got a need, that you need God's help in this area. You say that prayer, you get right. So first you've got to admit you've got a need. Okay, this sounds like therapy. Right with God, and God will help whoa, whoa, you. Whoa, 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 listen carefully. Did you hear that? I, you know, I, I, it may have been tough to catch because I was interrupting. I do that so rudely sometimes. Let me back this up. Listen carefully. Here we go. And again, I want to say the first thing, you must admit that you've got a need, that you need God's help in this area. You say that prayer. You get right with God, and God You get right with God. Good luck. How do I get right with God? Just by saying, oh, I need help? Is that what the Bible says? If you pray, oh, God, I need help, that that means you'll get right with God. Is that repentance and the forgiveness of sins? I don't think those two statements are synonymous. Get right with God? Sounds like something I've got to do. God will help you. And I've seen it happen right here at Daybreak where people have bowed before God and they've said, God, I need your help. I need, I need to get out of these handcuffs. I really do. I have two very special friends that uh, are going to be sharing their testimony right now. Okay, it's testimony time there at Daybreak. Listen carefully to this testimony. See if uh, Jesus makes an appearance during the testimony. And telling a little bit about early in their life when they came to know Jesus Christ and made some very important decisions concerning how they spent money and their personal economics and um, I want you to give them a big welcome right now, uh, George and Marty Capistani. So let's welcome them, and let's watch, uh, watch their story right now and listen very carefully. Well, I'm George Capistani, and this is... Marty Capistani. My lovely wife, and we've been attending Daybreak since the mid-90s, about 1995 is when we started there. Historically, um, I was an immigrant. We came, I was born in Cuba, and we came when, we, when I was just an infant. So growing up, my family did not have a lot of money. I was uh, aware as a young kid that my family was different. You know, we were the, the immigrant family. I didn't speak English when I went to school. Uh, my parents still don't speak that good English. And, um, but I remember, you know, watching my dad 
uh, as I was growing up, watching him work like a dog. He just got the first factory job he could get, and he worked as many hours as good as much overtime. On top of that, he took night jobs, and you know he would drag me along and make me clean toilets as we were janitors at a bunch of different places. And um, I remember specifically my attitude towards money when I was in my later teens and 20s was that you're supposed to get rich. This is what America is supposed to do. I mean, this is why I'm here. My parents dragged me out of Cuba, and they don't have much of a chance because they had to take the first thing available, but I'm supposed to be rich, and that was how I was keeping score. When we got started there at Daybreak, we definitely were not tithing. We didn't know anything about that and didn't know any people that tithed, and it was just a foreign concept. So uh, it wasn't right away that we started tithing. It was several years, actually, after we were at Daybreak that we decided that, yeah, we're going to you know, give this a shot. When we uh, were, had been attending Daybreak for a couple of years, we were trying to um, put into place things that Wes had spoke about in his messages. And uh, we had joined a small group. We had started serving and trying different areas of serving. And kind of the last step for us um, was to tithe. And uh, we felt like if we were going to really become true followers of Christ and we were going to do this thing. If we're really going to become true followers of Christ, law or gospel, that's pure law. We were going to go all the way, and this was kind of the last step for us. Well, when we started even considering the idea of tithing, we had a credit card debt of $22,000 at the time. The symptoms of stress for us, or the symptoms of uh, debt, were plenty. You know, um, I tend to worry a lot anyway. That's the way I'm wired. And um, I remember that having that debt, not being able to pay it off, and starting to think out ahead, like, man, when are we going to get this paid off? And this is going to affect our, our next home and all these issues like that. Uh, it really does take a toll on you. It did, it did on me anyway. I remember talking over with Marty and there was a phrase, one uh, sermon in particular, uh, Wes used a couple analogies. He said, uh, if you're a Christian, uh, would you be proud if you opened up your checkbook and God was looking through your checkbook? And that kind of struck me because, you know, he would have not seen any tithing checks written in there. And the other thing he mentioned was a radical faith, that it was going to take a radical faith. I remember that phrase, radical faith, to do this. And that spoke to me because it was going to be radical for us to actually start giving money away, or not giving it, but tithing, uh, when we didn't see, we literally didn't have it in the account. Um, was going to be tough. On paper, it just didn't make sense. So um, we didn't really start out tithing at uh, 2 or 3 or 4%. We went right ahead and dove in with 10%. And, uh, you know, Wes taught that this is one of the areas that you can test God. And God says, test me in this area and I will reward you. It's been a huge, huge transformation on so many levels. And, and George can just share about all the opportunities that have come along with him over the past years that... So uh, all these opportunities he's had, it sounds like business opportunities or something like that, all of those came about specifically because they tithed. Uh, so now I just asked a question. Um, you know, uh, like the atheist, Christopher Hitchens, I mean, he his business is doing really well as an atheist. I mean, he's world famous. He's speaking all over the world. Do you think that he tithes? Do you think that his success and notoriety has come about as a result of his faithfulness in tithing? We didn't realize what would uh, happen, and so the more we tithe and continue to be 
faithful and keep giving, the more opportunities came to him to speak. Um, so all of the blessings, they, uh, material blessings and business, uh, all of that is because of their faithfulness. They were obedient, and now their business is booming. So now I have to ask the other question. Tiger Woods seems to be my uh, favorite example for the day. Tiger Woods, he, for many years, was the number one golfer in the world. Do you think that he got that way because he was tithing? To get a new job in a less stressful environment. The change in our attitude towards money has been uh, fairly dramatic because now um, I've learned to be more content with what I have. You know, God has blessed us in many ways. Uh, I don't have tons of stories like, oh, I gave an extra tithe and I had an extra check show up. But there's tons of stories like, um, you know, where speaking opportunities because I speak a lot at tennis conventions and you know I get invited to speak at 40 or 50 of these a year. That's great. What about all these successful atheists and agnostics out there who are doing well financially? Hmm? How did they get to the to that point? Uh, what's the secret to their success? For the most part I can make money at them. I try to take less than 10 or 12 a year to speak at. So little things like that, doors opening up, people coming into my life that could uh Help me in a lot of different ways, but that's our journey. You know, went all the way from twenty-two thousand. And-, and what if you tie, then you end up, you know, get, getting cancer and dying next year? And uh, credit card debt. Uh, we don't want to come across as being perfect. We still have small amounts of credit card debt, depending on the time of year and stuff. So, um, but that's what it took for us. It was just uh, a little bit of time till we got to believe it, and then we made that radical dive and just started doing it and. Uh, looking back, it was probably the best thing we ever did. Wow, I hope to be as holy as you someday. Well, you've just listened to uh, two of my very favorite people, and uh, I'm I'm so blessed with George and Marty's life, and they're heavily involved here at Daybreak. George, uh, uh, you often see him on this stage and other places around church. Uh, Marty is heavily involved in, in Hip Town. And I appreciate uh, their candor today. I just want to say another word. You know, I remember old school testimonies, by the way. Old school's testimonies would actually talk about sin and redemption and the blood of Christ. Somebody would stand up and say, I used to be a low-down, stinking drunk, or I would get high on the weekends, or I would party and, and you know, commit sins of the flesh. And, and then I Jesus you know, came into my life. He he showed me that I was sinful and heading to hell. And, uh, it, but the good news is he forgave me and regenerated me. And I was born again and all of that stuff that I don't have the same passions that I had the same appetites for those sins of the flesh anymore because of the grace and mercy of Christ. Remember the old school testimonies? At least they, there was some concept of sin and redemption here. It's, it's, you know, we were making mistakes, but we did the right things, and now we're being blessed. And you can be blessed just like us if, if you're just, like, obedient like we are. Word here that God is your answer. Money isn't, and you may feel entrapped by money, credit cards, debt, but there is a way out. And it starts with God. So there you have it. That was the entire sermon. It, by the way, the sermon does kind of end abruptly there, but yes, that was the end of the sermon. So um, did you hear anything in that sermon that you couldn't have gotten from a, a good financial planner? You know, somebody who's actually 
trained and certified in helping you get out of debt, manage your finances, and build your portfolio, and you know all that kind of stuff. And did you notice the quid pro quo wage talk? Well, if you do this, then God's going to bless you. He's going to give you this, and and all. Yeah. Then the obvious question comes up: If that's really the secret to success, how is it that all these atheistic, non-Christian pagans are so darn successful out there? I mean, I, I don't get it. I mean, you know, all the things that are being promised to me. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people who aren't even Christians who have those things and more in abundance. Uh huh. This is a classic mixing of law and gospel. It's a complete, utter confusion as to what the law is. Not only that, it creates self-righteous Pharisees who go around acting like they're part of some Christian elite commando unit because they're more obedient than the other schlub over there. And you can tell because they're getting more business you know, and being blessed with more speaking engagements. And th- See, that proves it. Christianity is not the journey from immorality to morality. Christianity is the journey from morality to the cross. As Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee, neither of them could pay the debt. So he canceled the debt of both. You want to talk about debt. The right debt to talk about is the debt that we owe to God because of our sin. And as Christians, the ongoing debt that we owe to our neighbors to love and serve them because we've been set free from sin. And it's bondage to now we are set free to love and serve our neighbor, not because we get blessed if we do or we have to out of compulsion or else. No, because God has canceled our debts. He's loved us. Therefore, we can love him and love our neighbor. It's a completely different thing. What Wes Dupin was preaching was just pure, pharisaical morality, moralism. What Christianity teaches is something completely, completely different. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, your financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially, and please do so not out of compulsion. Do so because you're hearing the good news of Christ, and you want other people to hear this freeing message. You can support us. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. You know the drill. Pick one, fill it out. We truly do need your help to keep doing what you're doing. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.